You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded at the 2016 annual Florida Buyer Convention. We're on location in Orlando, Florida, at the beautiful Hilton Orlando Bonnet Creek facility, which is settled in between the Hilton and the Waldorf Historia. We're here to cover this event and its highlights for you, our listeners. And joining me now, I have Mr. Jay Kim. He was part of the Florida Law Update 2016. Uh, he made the presentation on the business law update. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, thank you for stopping by. Uh, before we get started, you know, we did a little pregame, obviously, before we started our interview today. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Where do you work and what do you do? Sure. Uh, I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, we have a, uh, a boutique practice. It's a litigation practice. Uh, we're a spinoff of a large Miami firm, and we just celebrated our 11th anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the name of the firm is Kim Vaughn Lerner. And uh, we practice primarily commercial litigation, employment litigation, and insurance litigation. Excellent. Uh, so three attorneys, uh, more staff? Or? Actually, no. We have eight attorneys now. Eight attorneys. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yes. Were you part of the beginning there? We, we Yes. I was one of the two guys that started, and then we have grown uh, to eight. Uh, and, and we've had a lot of growth over the last two years or so. And well, so we're very fortunate about that. Congratulations on that. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. And so now I know that you're involved in with the Florida Bar. You were just telling me before. So uh, also for the benefit of our listeners, how are you involved with the Florida Bar? Well, you know, interestingly, um, as I said, uh, we are a spinoff of a Miami firm. And so when we decided to start this firm, we went to Broward County, which is Fort Lauderdale. And as soon as I got there, you know, I started to get really involved with the Florida Bar, and I started off with the at the Grievance Committee, and and ever since then, for the last ten or eleven years, I've been involved in lots of different committee work, and and uh, just continuing to be involved in the Florida Bar in different levels. And most recently, I have uh, been elected to the Board of Governors, uh, representing the 17th Judicial Circuit, which is the Broward County Lawyers, and um, I will be sworn in in on Friday, which is just two days from now. Um, to represent, uh, you know, be one of the five Board of Governors from that circuit. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's get to it. Uh, you presented the, the business law update portion of the Florida Law Update 2016. And so we discovered this last year when we attended the meeting in Boca Raton was that there's an annual update uh, presentations with right. the convention. And so I guess let's start to it. How is the business climate in Florida? I guess let's start with that. Well, I mean, uh, I would say that uh, in all the years that uh, I've been kind of doing this commercial litigation, uh, we found it uh, relatively business friendly. There's always a fight, I guess, at some levels as to plaintiffs versus defendants' rights, but I think that Florida's pretty uh, friendly towards businesses, uh, and there's, there's a lot of protection for individuals as well. But definitely, I think it's a business-friendly climate. You know, as a matter of, you know, uh, law, there's lots of, I guess, swings back and forth. But, uh, you know, I think on the whole, I think uh, businesses don't have a bad time in Florida. Has that enhanced since the recession as Florida turned and uh, tried to promote a more business-friendly climate? Where, where's it trending? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because commercial litigation, I haven't really seen affected too much by the recession per se. Uh, I think that businesses are going to have problems uh, if, you know, I mean, I hate to use that term, uh, but but litigation is a part of business and I think it happens regardless of whether things are hot and because things are hot, you're gonna have more activity and leading to problems. Or if the business is slow and maybe there's some collection issues or, or other 
debt issues like that leads to litigation. Uh, we've always been very uh, fortunate to have a very busy commercial litigation practice. So uh, I'm not really sure whether the recession has affected uh, businesses as far as litigation is concerned, unfortunately, because I know that litigation is an expensive uh, thing, uh, part of the business, you know. So um, I hate to call it the cost of business, but I think sometimes we have to factor that in. Yes, I, I think that's, uh, I think uh, most people in business that have been sued, uh, that's in a healthy way they look at it. Well, that, that's, that would be how maybe some of the bigger businesses look at it. I would say if you talk to some of my uh, smaller business clients, they um, they don't look at it that way. They think it's a complete distraction and a waste of money. And, and sometimes uh, they think it's extortion. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, let's uh, from last year to this year. Obviously, the law marched on, and uh, in particular with the business law. What observations did you see? Uh, how has uh, Florida's law been updated by this last year in litigation and legislation? Well, you know, I think there are just two things that I'm seeing. Uh, one of the things is that um, the there's a mechanism in Florida civil procedure called the proposal for settlement, and that allows either party, defendant or plaintiff, to uh, make an offer to the other side to settle the case. And the statutes in Florida provide for attorney's fees to the offering party if the other side can't beat that number by 25% at trial. So it's a, it's a little bit of a complicated analysis, but at the end of the day, uh, it is a way to shift attorney's fees, which of course in the United States is usually uh, everybody bears their own fees unless there's a statute that provides for you to be able to shift fees to the other side. In Florida, the, the law has always been written clearly, but applied in a, in a kind of inconsistent way. And so uh, there's always a surprise waiting at the end uh, of the trial when one party believes that they're going to be entitled to use that mechanism to shift fees. And the appellate court says, no, sorry, you didn't do certain things properly. Therefore, you don't get your attorney's fees, even though you met the other parts of the statute. And so there's been a lot of case law that interprets the requirements of making a perfect proposal for settlement. And um, you think you have a perfect proposal for settlement until the next case comes out and you realize that you have certain gaps. And so it's constantly an evolving, very scary uh, area of law, if you ask me, because a practitioner is really telling his or her client that uh, they are going to get their attorney's fees because they're going to be able to prevail as to a certain mathematical calculation. And then lo and behold, the appellate court says, sorry, you didn't meet the requirements. And it's very, they're very technical requirements. And so it's, it's, that's one area of law that's kind of always in flux. And it's always interesting to see what cases come out of the uh, district courts of appeal. So based on what you've seen in regards to that, and my understanding uh, of that is that judges are pretty reluctant to award attorney's fees regardless. And so, but now you have this new rule, or is it, a, it's a new rule, it's right? It's not a new rule. It's been around for a long time, okay. but the, the application has evolved. The uh, application the has evolved. So yes. where is it trending this year? Are you seeing it go more towards allowing people to uh, get their attorney's fees? Uh, or I actually think it's the opposite. I think that the courts are being more stringent as to the uh, requirements that you need to uh, meet in order to have that shifting uh, take place. And so, for example, uh, the courts will invalidate a proposal for settlement if they didn't include one of two uh, required statements that are in the statute uh, relating to whether the attorney's fees uh, of the uh, other side are included in your offer or not. And so that's just a small technical example of what they're talking about when they say, sorry, you met one, but you didn't meet two, and therefore your entire proposal is invalid. Okay, okay. So are you hearing any, I guess, legislative pressure to maybe codify that a little bit differently? 
Um, so, you know, right now it seems to be uh, the domain of the court to make that decision. It sounds like, honestly, for a lack of a better phrase, a little wishy-washy one way or the other uh, as to whether or not and how strong that, uh, you know, getting these attorney's fees might be. Are you hearing some rumblings, perhaps, of, uh, you know, some type of uh, codification at the legislative level to, to kind of iron this out to provide a little bit more predictability? I have not heard uh, of any initiative to change the uh, statute itself. The one thing that I would hope would be that for perhaps the Supreme Court of Florida may come out with some pre-approved forms where it would be completely uh, all-encompassing so that you could maybe check off certain provisions that would apply and not check off those provisions that do not apply. Uh, I don't know how mechanically that would be done, but if the Supreme Court were to be able to issue a pre-approved form that has a presumption of correctness if you use that form, maybe it can avoid some of these last-minute surprises and have some uh, added predictability in whether you're going to be able to shift your fees or not. Okay. What are some of the other updates and uh, matters of curiosity you've noticed this year? Well, you know, as a result of uh, some of the foreclosure uh, cases kind of winding their way through the system, there's been a a, a lot of uh, law relating to whether identity of parties will allow a, a foreclosing bank to be successful in their in their foreclosure action. And because banks in, in, in that arena almost always have change of hands, changes of name, uh, there's a lot of transfers of, of documents and, and, and um, things that don't necessarily lend to a clear paper trail. Uh, I've seen a lot of cases where the courts are, are saying, uh, if you do not establish a clear trail using, uh, for example, um, witness testimony to say, I know of the predecessor bank's document keeping process and the, and the successor bank needs to uh, adopt that and, and know about it for them to say, these are business records that are going to be admissible for the purposes of the trial. And so that's another line of cases where I think a lot of the, uh, um, just a sign of the times, the foreclosure cases are, are seeing certain technicalities getting in the way of a final judgment. Okay. Uh, you know, I think it would help just by way of example, maybe uh, uh, walk us through that a little bit. Uh, I was trying to kind of piece together the details there, but uh, sure. that would be really instructive, I yeah, think. Yeah. Like, okay, for example, if, um, you know, Bank A is acquired by Bank B, and then at trial, Bank B is trying to establish that its records that it got from Bank A are admissible for the purpose of the foreclosure. Uh, and this is an evidentiary issue. Uh, Bank B would not only have to say that they are aware of these documents, but they would actually have to have certain personal knowledge as to Bank A's record keeping and document handling procedures. And so from an evidentiary standpoint, I think they would need to come out with a witness that has uh, really good personal knowledge as to not only Bank B's procedures, but the predecessor bank's procedures as well, and not assume that just because you're, you're, you're checking off certain uh, evidentiary requirements that the evidentiary code requires, uh, but actually have substantive knowledge as to the underlying uh, documents. Um, if you don't meet those requirements, there's a danger that it's going to be held inadmissible, or even if it's admissible during the trial, an appellate court may say, no, you did not meet those requirements, and therefore, we're going to overturn your judgment. Okay. Well, let's turn the clock from behind us to in front of us. So we've talked a little bit about some of the changes from last year to this year. Uh, how about going forward? Uh, do you see some interesting changes coming on the horizon? Well, you know, I think one of the things is that very recently the Florida Supreme Court invalidated the um, statute that 
uh, dictated how uh, workers' compensation attorneys' fees um, were calculated. And this is not necessarily business litigation per se, but clearly it, it does affect businesses. And so with this recent case that came out uh, where the Florida Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional, both at the state and federal levels, for this particular statute to take away all uh, decision-making by the judge and basically have a, a mathematical formula as to how a reasonable attorney's fees for the uh, for the plaintiff's attorney would be calculated, it certainly opens the door for a lot more uh, workers' compensation litigation because the statute, as it was drafted and applied before the Supreme Court decision, kind of kept a lot of the plaintiff's attorneys from bringing cases because they were not going to be uh, compensated under that statute. So I think the future may be that in, in, in light of this ruling, uh, there may be a lot more plaintiff's worker compensation claims that are litigated and, and tried because uh, the plaintiff's attorneys are, are now going to be able to claim attorney's fees, uh, reasonable attorney's fees. Uh, and, and the whole problem was that in this particular case, uh, the attorney who prevailed and, and apparently did a very good job for the plaintiff uh, ended up getting an award of which it amounted to about a dollar and $1.53 per hour. And so the Florida wow. Supreme Court said that's not constitutional because the plaintiff needs to be able to find counsel who's going to be able to represent his or her interests. And is that case, it's totally resolved or is it still going through a series of appeals or... There is no other way for this to go because the Florida Supreme Court has spoken. Oh, I'm and sorry. So, it's the right. Florida Supreme Court. Uh, forgive right, me. Forgive right, me. right. So, so it's been through the entire uh, appeals uh, I, process. I believe so. I, I'm not sure if there's a motion for rehearing that's that's pending or not. Okay. But um, barring that, I don't think there's any other way uh, because the Florida Supreme Court is going to have the last word as far as the Florida statute. So uh, in theory, I mean, that could be the most important case that uh, anyone in business law needs to be paying attention to right now. Well, yeah, in, in many respects, it, it affects everybody, right? Because, um, you know, from a small business's perspective, uh, you know, they may see increases in insurance premiums. Um, not to say that it's wrong, uh, but uh, they may see, you know, it may affect them that way. Um, but then again, from the plaintiff's point of view, uh, if you're injured at work and the statute really is supposed to be all-encompassing and, and you're not supposed to be able to bring any other kind of action against your employer. So if you're injured at work and the workers' compensation uh, system is supposed to compensate you for the entire injury and you can't go after anybody else or even the employer under any other mechanism, then you need to be able to uh, uh, get your damages through that. And sometimes if your lawyer is not going to take that case because they're not going to get paid, well, then that could be a, a barrier to, to justice. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we've obviously reached the end of our program here, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to leave some contact information for our listeners if they wanted to reach out and ask some questions about what they've heard today. How, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. The, the easiest way to get in touch with me is by email, and my email address is jkim at kv as in victor, l l a w dot com, kvllaw.com. That's two L's in there. Excellent. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti signing off from Orlando. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.